Lorem ipsum dolor, siet amen. That's not right at all. Consectitor. Are, are we going to argue about this again, Dave? Yeah, what are you talking about? You keep thinking that, that writers have to bail out when they go over rubble. That's ridiculous. Of course they have to bail out. What do you think? They're going to they're going to hang on and all that jostling around? Yeah, they could be bouncing around. They could be holding on to the big gun or holding on to they could be handful things on the tanks. Like when you go through the woods, like the branches knock you off. But what's going to knock you off going over rubble? Dave, you you grew up on a farm. You've ridden in the back of a pickup truck, driving driving over some big ravines and boulders and stuff like that. That is ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I mean, you're going to gentlemen. Is there a problem here? Oh, we're we're sorry, Father. We were just having a little discussion about the squad leader rules. You know that part where whether or not riders can stay on a vehicle when they're going over rubble. Sorry, Father. I, I'll, I'll put a, a stop to this right now. Rule 6.21. Riders are not allowed while the AFE is moving through woods, orchard, buildings, rubble, or water obstacles, or through bocage, unless it is moving across a road hexide. Sorry, Jeff. I guess you were right. I guess I was. It's right there in the good book. Nun convales ilet rulia. Exciting episode of the Two Half Squads, the only podcast on the net dedicated. How many percent do you think? Just guess. Oh, you there in, in front? In guess. actuality, yes. It's really only about seventy-five percent. Well, about squad leader, <laughs> advanced squad leader. It's supposed to be one hundred percent dedicated to the greatest game in the world, advanced squad leader. That is correct, and I am Dave, and I'm Jeff, and with us today is Rick. Hi, Rick. Rick Hollander. You might remember Rick. He did a at least one ASL Extra episode. Way back in the beginning, yes. And I'm sure we'll let's do another one this summer and put that up for people. I would be happy to. And we'd like to welcome Rick. And today we are going to be doing a variety of things, aren't we? Yes, we are. This is episode 36. And, and we, the date is, are we going to say the date? We had somebody write us and say, stop saying the date. But we why, did he, why did he we, want us to stop? We're not doing listener mail, Jeff. Oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. There we Doing go. Listener mail. What's um, the date? Actually, he did write and say that. He wrote and said that it was meaningless, but I said it. I think I like to have it so we have a context. So when we say stupid things like Journal 8's not out yet, and it is, people will know we recorded it yeah. long before it came out. Yeah. So it would be March, April. It would be May 3rd, <laughs> 2010. Yes. There it is. And if you don't like us uh, announcing the date, we're sorry. Speaking of listener... Can't please everybody. Speaking of... Some of the time. Speaking yeah. of listener mail that we're not going to read, didn't someone e- email and say about the new site changes on the site, Jeff? You're, this is your cue to yeah. tell us about the changes. <laughs> we did have some changes on the site, yes, on some uh, unplanned, unscheduled changes. See, we um, are, are, we kind of kind of have the site spread out. So we've got all of the audio is hosted at a company called Podbean, and then the site itself is hosted by Google. And But the player that plays the streaming audio, we were using a player from Odeo, odeo.com. And it was a free player, and I used that one because I liked it. I liked the way it worked, and 
everything. Well, suddenly, Odeo went offline. And so none of our, none of our embedded players work because, you know, every time, every one of our pages would refer to the audio.com player, which was offline. So I've been working like a furious little crazy man, uh, trying to find a good player to replace it with. And I think I found one. So I've been doing that. And I sure appreciate that, Jeff. It's, it's annoying. All I do is send him emails saying, when are you going to post the next show? Yeah. Yeah, I can. Yeah, that's what Dave always is telling me too. So, yeah, so I had to. I had to go back through forty. I'm going back through forty-two episodes, and I've got to edit each one to Im- embed the new player. Oh, remember, so, I'm willing to help you. I know if you, you are. Train me. If I train you, yeah. So, then, all right. Sit I, up, I won't Dave. just be a sidekick on the show. Would you like a sardine? Um. I'll train you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've been doing a lot. Well, there's a lot of work to keep in the the uh, website going. Yes, there is. And shall we get rolling with the show? Let's do. Well, Rick, when you look through that stack there, I think it's time for part of our episode that we like to call What's in the box? <laughs> it's, it's not like a question mark. Try again. <laughs> What's in the box? That's right, Rick. <laughs> and Rick has with him here a product that was sent to us by a marvelous person. We met at the Open, and we're going to Sam Tyson. review it with him, his products from Sam Tyson and Bounding Fire Productions. Yeah, and it actually came in a box. The big package. This is a what's in the box that came in a box. Rick's flipping through small packages. No, we want the big package. That's a huge big package. package. Blood and jungle. And how much do you think that weighs, Rick? <laughs> Two point three pounds. That'd be great at a carnival, like a, the squad leader. Guess guess the weight of this module. And it's ten years old. No, it's not ten years old. So, oh, no. you have to guess the age. No, it's new. No. This is well, a they new do it Great America. So, yeah, <laughs> you get a free ride. This is a totally new game. The much anxiously awaited Blood and Jungle BFP three from Bounding Fire Productions LLC. What does LLC mean? Leader limited, loss, oh, leader loss command check, limited, <laughs> limited liability corporation. But who really yeah. cares? Nobody, <laughs> nobody cares. I'm opening. So this was very nice. Now, and oh, very, how long very did nice. how long would you say we had to beg Sam before he approved? <laughs> we begged a lot. We begged a lot. We're not below begging. Well, I'm not below begging. Yeah. Jeff doesn't beg well. I'm very good at begging for things. <laughs> In fact, I think and don't grovel. I think Stop I'll groveling. Send... I can't stand it when you grovel. <laughs> I think I'll send MMP another email begging for things because I had to go buy J8 and I was not really happy about it. But um, wow, this is where where to begin? Where to begin? So you opened it. Here, Rick, would you read this? Now wait a minute. This corner? was sent to both of us. How come you opened it? Oh, because <laughs> I'm because I'm the most excited. Look at you. You're all feverish. I'm, He's feverish. I'm, His I'm, hands here. are shaking. I'm going to hand you. Sweat Pass. rolling down the right there. Oh, there you go. Oh, Rick, Mike, what? you've got all the pictures. I got all the words. Oh, here, take this. <laughs> okay. Oh, there's so many things. Uh, Rick, what's that say? <laughs> this is an independently published product for aftermarket use with compatible tactical war game systems. Okay, that's boring and stupid. Boy, that Turn flows. It. <laughs> it flows. Here, read this one back here. This might be better. 
FP3. Blood and Jungle depicts the many battles and conflicts that raged among numerous nationalities from the early 1930s to the late 1940s across most of Asia. Among those combatants are the Americans, Japanese, Australians, French, Chinese, Russians, and many minor powers for both sides, such as the Indians, Thais, Indonesians, Burmese, and many more. Wow. Wow. That's all-inclusive. That's amazing. That's politically correct. I'm surprised they got it all in this small box, actually. <laughs> uh, there is no box. Oh, box art review. Where'd the cover go? I have it. I see a nice picture here. The Blood and Jungle lettering, though, Rick. Can you read it from where you are over there? Uh, it's Easily? a little, diffi- little, little difficult. difficult. A little larger lettering here would be a little nicer <laughs> for bounding. For- what? This <laughs> is helpful information for them. Yes. Jeff, are you scoffing at me? No, I'm not scoffing. Now, that's more like this. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's gargling. Oh, no, that's harumphing. <laughs> that's harumphing. Well, anyway. Um, it looks like this picture is interesting. The two Japanese guys are firing at these Americans, and it looks like it's almost like two different photos. Like it was Photoshopped or something. Oh, they couldn't. You they know, didn't have Photoshop at... back in the World War II, <laughs> did they? Oh, yeah, that does look kind of Photoshopped. That's nice, though. It's a nice cover. I don't get the smoke thing in the background. Is that a is that J- island of Japan or is it a smoke column? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I thought it was a tornado. No. Antm, Antm. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. What's dun, dun. in the book? And what's in there? Well, this is the rule book. Oh, okay. First, let's look at the boards. Rick, what do you see? You have to describe to our listeners. This is a radio show, not a television show. Here, look at this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, whenever we describe boards, we usually uh, do it in free verse or um, poetry. In, in poetry. poetry. <laughs> yeah, you have to Iambic rhyme. pentameter. I'm an accountant by nature, so this is going to be difficult for me. Uh, there are many, many buildings on this board. Uh, this would be uh, difficult to... Uh, oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, that is... This look at that. Difficult to uh, move through. Those are huts. Mm-hmm. Those are not the the multi oh, yeah. multi buildings per hex is a hut. It's a hut in in yeah. Pacific terrain typically, and you can shoot between those little buildings. I wonder if there's any neat little line of sight things going on in there. Wow, look at that rows of um, wooden buildings. I wonder if that's barracks and stuff. Yeah, that's what it or, looks like. It looks like barracks. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Maybe it's a POW camp. I don't know. We don't know. Maybe it's a girls, an all-girls college. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Look, it's Vassar. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> Voice from beyond. And what's the other board, Rick? And the other board here, we have a nice long river right through the uh, middle of the board. Buildings on both sides. Look at that. Look, that's what, a huge that's building. That's a huge building. That's the biggest hut I've ever seen. That's, no, they're not about, huts. Takes up about nine hexes. No, I'd say ten. That's a ten hut. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and these are water towers. I think these round things look like water towers. Or maybe they're really giant mines. They look like... <laughs> Take out the water towers and make a flood. <laughs> they look like hubcaps. Maybe someone lost their hubcaps. <laughs> I did that and told my friend I was thinking of not getting a new one. He said, no, you get a new one, Dave. You're not you're not white trash. <laughs> so thank you for reminding me. Wow, that looks neat. So I wonder if that's affordable. No, nope, not a river that big. They cost, cost too much. <laughs> <laughs> I 
affordable. It's not affordable. You can't afford that river. No, you know what those would cost you? Yeah. Is that river affordable? I don't know. Let's ask the how real much, estate agent. How much you got? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, uh, uh-huh. Do you have any boards? I have no boards because oh, you, you were mad at me for taking all the product. <laughs> well, I've got board uh, DW. DW? 1A? <laughs> Isn't that a cartoon character? So more, uh, more, lots of, uh, lots more huts. Holy oh, cow! This up so everybody can see. Wow. And then uh, this is an interesting stone building here, covering five hexes, and uh, it looks like there's stuff on the roof. Oh, maybe it's. Is there stuff on the roof, or is that walled inside walls? No, I think it's stuff on the roof. Okay. And then like air conditioning units. Air conditioning, yeah, air conditioning units, units back in the forties. Yeah. yeah. Well, because it was hot in the Pacific. Yeah. So they had big air conditioners. Probably. Yeah. And look at the graveyard. I love graveyards, almost like I love fountains. Yeah. Yeah, nice graveyard. As long as you're outside of it, it's nice. Really dense huts. Yeah, lots of huts. Very dense. Huh, I wonder if it could be like Manila, or I wonder if they had dense hut areas in the cities. They they probably did. Yeah. Like, I wonder how historical that map might be, what kind of inspiration it was. We didn't ask Sam that. We We didn't ask. We'll we'll have to go back and ask him. And we can also ask Bob, because I think Bob Holmstrom has played... A little bit of this. Play tested? Yeah. Not play tested, but I think he actually played some. Oh, he's already yeah. He's already played. Some I believe so. Yes. Boy, that guy wastes no time. I'm he still will. he doesn't waste any time. Still play testing Hakapala. Oh, and another listener mail said stop saying it's slow. Yeah. It's getting old. Yeah. Hakapala. <laughs> we'll start saying it like that. Hakapala. Well, here is the I suppose rule book. Again, first time we're seeing this, so I haven't read this to prove it or to give you any other Kind of advice or information. Notes from the command post. Um, looks like there's notes about the boards and how they can be placed together. Look at that. To make a larger huddy kind of area. Mm-hmm. Pacific Terrain, the Law of the Jungle by Chaz Smith. And it's describing the terrain in less legalese language, I guess it looks like to me. Yep, bamboo, the palm trees, swamp going right on through. Oh, I'll bet this is going to be really helpful to anyone starting out in the Pacific, it looks like. Giving them hints, a tactical example. Wow. Oh. Very good. Radio contact odds chart. Meaty. Just for information. This magazine is meaty. And look at the wow graphics here. Again. So those are uh, examples as from the squad leader rulebook where they're running through uh, some examples. And- yeah, how they're, oh. how they're different for Pacific. I see. Radio G7, all the G rules are in the Pacific mm-hmm. section. Detection and the recovery of things in the jungle. So I think it's just breaking it down for you in a different way. I'm guessing. Now we'll read it yeah. and come back again in a later show and, and yeah. revisit it. Tactical example involves lots of foxholes, hills. So I don't know what that example actually is. An article by Chad Smith, page 15. Axis miners in the PTO. Indian National Army. Oh, I'd like to read that. History. Mm-hmm. Indonesian Republican Army with a little history, a, a long history. Can I borrow that book at some point? You you may, Jeff. Would you stop licking your fingers then to turn the pages? Oh, sorry. <laughs> the t- <laughs> it's a habit. rolling over here. Yeah, I can, use, <laughs> I can use nasal mucus instead. Yeah, great. Thai Army, Burma. Independent Army, an ad for Le Franc Tireux, 12. Oops, almost. The Cotchins, Extraordinary Burmese Scouts, an article about Burmese Scouts. 
uh, article about the U.S. Filipino Army from 41 to 42 wow. in the beginning of the war. Wow. Completely historical. The Scouts, long one. It's going all the way to page 30 here. We're hitting the middle. Second half of this, alligators in ASL with LVTs, those uh, photographs of these LVTs, Japanese fighting tactics by David Roth. Oh, from Van Halen? <laughs> yeah, he's now a squad leader player. Ow! <laughs> Would you okay. sit on attack? Jump! Yeah, jump. <laughs> My well jump! Wow, look at this. Tactics employed on Iwo Jima. K-N-I-L. Never heard of it. Canil. Canil, the Royal Netherlands East Indies Army. Okay, they have... Sorry, Jeff, I, I kept looking my fingers... <laughs> Tank Hunter Heroes, ASL Suicide Units. Just an article about Tank Hunter Heroes, the little wow. chart for their creation. Some big, big pictures of with samples for their use. Running through page 48, we have the U.S. Cav in World War II by Steve Swan and David Roth. Wow. And that continues on. Those guys are busy. Getting us to a little solitaire ASL tacked on at the end here. And uh, Airborne Samurai, Japanese paratroopers in World War II. An article about them. Advertisement in the back of their magazine for Into the Rubble, Beyond the Beachhead, and Operation Cobra. Other fine Bounding Fire production. Look at the quality, Mr. Hollander. Third little... party. Not That's not official product. What do you think of that quality? Oh, it's, it's very nice. Uh, nice glossy... Uh... The whole thing is very professional. And $125 for this pack. That's what they're selling it for on the website. 125 I thought it was 100, 140 uh, 125 for U.S. and Canada. Everybody else, 135 Well, it serves them right. So, <laughs> yeah, that's what you get for living somewhere else. <laughs> but uh, I'd say already, just based on what's in the magazine, this is going to be worth it. Just from all that wealth of information. Well, what do you have there, Jeff? I have uh, the uh, rules. It looks like rule add-ons. So there's information here. Let's just take a look. There's about uh, 40, I'd say, pages here. I'd have to do math. Yeah, 30 or 40 pages. I like the last one there. If you flip it over real quick, the whole packet. This page is intentionally left blank. I like that yeah. page the best. I love yeah. that page. Yeah. That's the one. I, that's the one I'm going to remember. It's so people don't call them up and say, "Hey, my hey, page was blank." Yeah, anal retentive squad leader <laughs> players. <laughs> so there's an article, uh, not an article here, but rules in here about aircraft use in Blood and Jungle, and there are all kinds of different uh, fighter bombers. It looks like from the U.S. and from the Japanese. Wow, lots of different fighter bombers. Chinese aircraft, Thai aircraft. Then there's some examples of play, which are always very, very helpful after reading a lot of instructions, uh, and a lot of rules. It's always good to read the examples. Uh, there's some Japanese paratrooper rules, which is cool. I didn't, well, of course, I, I never really thought about Japanese paratroopers before. but There are games with them in them. Oh, are there? Yes, I've played one or two from the official product. I don't know how the rules will be different, but again, we'll be actually reading this and, and coming back again with another slight yeah. review. yeah. Then there's uh, vehicle notes regarding uh, LVTs, and especially there's some complicated, sort of complicated, um, vehicle covered arc rules 
in LVTs where the uh, some certain machine guns will have a covered arc only going one way, and yeah. uh, uh, different machine guns in the back covered arc another way, just the way the, the way they were mounted on the LVTs. Uh, additionally, some uh, some different tanks, U.S. vehicle notes on tanks and troop carriers. Then there's some. Oh, here's some rules for the Australian Matildas. Oh. Which are amphibious vehicles, if I'm not mistaken. Who will go a waltzing, waltzing Matilda? Aye. Oh, no, that's Irish. Uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Chinese vehicle notes. With one new vehicles page, one and page stuff? Of that. Yeah. Okay, like, there must be. We'll look into counters in a second. Yeah. Some Renault tanks and uh, light armored vehicles. And then the usual, the Chi Ha, of course, and the Chi Ro. I love those names. <clears throat> Some additional Japanese vehicle notes for, uh, they've got different armored vehicles here and tanks, several pages of these, uh, including some scouting cars. And again, the Chiha gun tank, which the Chinese and the Japanese both used. He's very knowledgeable. And some additional, <laughs> some artillery, the Japanese 240 millimeter howitzers. That's big. That's, that's a big honking. That's a big one. And Rick was in the military. He was with the OBA. I was order. an air, uh, artillery officer. You were. I was an artillery. So you can officer. tell us about how uh, how the army uses offboard artillery. Is that what they called yeah. it in the army? Just ask Dave how I play it because it yeah. never works for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jeff wanted to know why it's called offboard artillery in the real army. Do you call it offboard artillery? Not that I recall, but we're 30 <laughs> miles back, so we're... Uh, You're way off the board. We're way off the board. And then uh, Dutch vehicle notes. Wow. Thai vehicle notes. Thai ordnance notes. I, did, I had no... Which I knew nothing about the, the uh, mm, participation Thai. of Thailand no, and Burma. and correct. Those, those other countries. It really shows how worldwide the World War was. Yeah. And when I teach it to the kids, it's kind of a shame because you don't have time to cover... A lot of the stuff, and you can yeah. list. Oh, these countries were involved, but without concrete examples. And, and you're teaching, they can still come away remembering. Oh, Germany, Japan, you know the yeah. major contestants. Um, reading off the back here, it's going to have 47 action-packed scenarios. Wow! And four-color print. We're, we're going to look at those in a minute. 176 full-color die-cut counters. A half-inch counters, 528 five-eighths-inch counters. It's going to take us weeks to play this. This looks, yeah. This does state that the boards do go together to be one board. One 16 by 22 double-wide board. So I guess you'd always play that together with those two hut boards you guys had. That's going to be cool. The articles we just read through, rules for rocket-equipped fighter bombers, rules pages describing those new vehicles Jeff just went through, and a divider card. So it's chock full. Rick, what do you have over there? Well, I have some counters over here for some of the uh, fighting vehicles, some of the uh, bombers, some of the special weapons that look like go along with this. I'll have to pop Machine those out guns, and clip yeah. those corners right away. Machine gun counters? Yeah, there's some mediums. Or, uh, actually, a lot of medium machine gun counters. Mortars. Well, I noticed they're an Axis minor and Allied minor colors and Japanese colors, so, oh, they're giving you some dug-in armored cupolas, yeah, they're just more, oh, I think these are like Japanese machine guns that might be used with the other 
nationalities, so they can match the colors. Right. And they've put out some Japanese paratrooper counters actually here. A two two eight squad and a one one eight half squad. So they're really not a lot of firepower here. Machine gun armored couple us. And what's on that sheet? You have some dense jungle counters. Oh, to actually here. mark your dense jungle so you dense don't forget. Kind of nice. Oh, yeah. A uh, number of uh, bombers. Uh, specific airplanes? Specific, um, Do they have names on them? 39 FBs, 37 AFBs, 45 AFBs. Quite a few on here. Yeah, I don't recognize. I guess these are specific. I have a sheet that has the Japanese vehicles on it, and there's some LAV-type uh, vehicles, which I don't even recognize. Some new tanks here, yeah. And the planes are very specific. Very specific types of planes with different kinds of armament. So that's kind of a neat touch. Tons of vehicles here. Whole counter sheet for the Japanese, including some artillery pieces and so on. And Jeff, you have one there? Uh, I don't have any counters. Oh, yes, I do. I'm sorry, yes, I do. I just handed him a sheet. Yeah. <laughs> that was so long ago. Orchard counters. Uh, orchard markers, I should say, which is kind of interesting. I don't know. I guess it makes sense if you want to put orchards in places where there aren't normally. I don't have my glasses. Oh, where are they? Right. Yeah, you could. You can lay these on the counter. Oh, and the back is crag. And light jungles on the back of the dense jungle. Right. To help mark it. Sorry, did you say that? Yeah, these planes. Here's a, a F4U. That's the Corsair. That's the American Corsair. And the P-47. Lightning? I didn't see that one in there. Over yeah, here on the yeah. American. That's why they're in this. So this is all American color. This is all American vehicles over here. Let me see your green. What green is that? It's the light American green versus okay. the dark Allied or Axis Minor. And they run them in both colors. Yeah, you've got the Allied yeah. and Axis Minor, yeah. which probably go for, like, Thailand and all those nations that they were talking about in the rule book. Yeah. So I just have more counters here for um, additional vehicles. So a lot of a lot of open top. Looks like uh, half-track type vehicles. There's some Vickers tanks on here, infantry artillery pieces. And then some bombers as well, additional artillery. Yeah. Probably all like, kind of like Lindley stuff that the British had sold or, you know, sold to the um, other Asian countries before, because they were involved there, right, with all their colonial stuff. Oh, yes. yeah. Yes, they were. And then I've got a very handy uh, couple of tables to cover the terrain jungle terrain and things like that. Oh, they're not new rules, or do you think? Uh, there's some, the different nationalities will have some different, uh, it just goes over their ordnance colors that, okay. they, that they use, whether they're going to use red, the red or the black uh, ordnance to hit numbers and things like that. And then some extra examples on light and dense jungle and orchard and crag as used in this PTO. Oh, right, for the counters that they have. Right. Great. And then a huge pack of scenarios, which we won't even try to get through. Well, on the back of the... No. 48 scenarios. The back of um, the book just lists a couple of quick uh, locations. I don't know if you notice any unique locations, Jeff, that would be worth pointing out. Well, the one I, the one that's, that really caught my eye was uh, there is one scenario here that uses the map from the Blood Reef Tarot. Oh, I see it. Right, the Tarot map, the whole thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it's only a seven and a half turn game, right? It's only usually uh, only using part of the map. Oh, just, just drive like along the, the beach. Uh, yes, 
uh, on the opposite, the Japanese side of the island where the Japanese start. Yeah. Is uh, the part that's used. And it looks like, uh, yeah, so this must be later on the day on, in the Tarawa. Or, uh, I'm not sure what day this was. But anyway, yeah, Americans to Japanese. So that stuck out. And uh, quite a lot of board usage here. I mean, th- I recommend buying these modules all the time, but if you don't have all the boards, you're going to be out of luck unless you play Vassal. Uh, or you can get all these boards, because a lot of these boards are from, obviously, all these other modules. Oh, yeah. Boards 30, 35, 37, 49, 42, 43, 38... Etc. 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 I don't have a lot of these boards, but Tar- I, c- right. I can borrow yours. You can borrow mine, as long as you don't lick the edges. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's yeah, okay. And I see some with communist forces versus and the nationalists and uh, Chinese civil war and so on. It's got lots of variety in it. Wow, that's quite an impressive effort here. Boy, I'll say. I wonder how long they were working on this. Yeah, again, we'll have to ask Sam about I, it. Did we ask him that in our interview? Don't remember. We uh, recorded it at the yeah. open. Yes, and we haven't listened back to it since, so we, no, don't, we haven't. don't really remember. Well, it was very nice to get that. I think we should celebrate. Let us celebrate. <laughs> and what do we have in here? Bottled water? No, it's a land shark. Premium quality lager. Island style lager from the Margaritaville Brewing Company, Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, wow. Very exotic. Fresh, clean taste. It is. Very yeah. very light, kind of a beachy beer. Yeah. yeah. I like what it says on that. Fins up. Is that yeah. what it says? It says fins up. It's a little, it, it tastes like it's uh, like there's already lime in it, but it doesn't say that anywhere on it, does it? It just takes, tastes a little citrusy to me. Are you tasting that? Yeah, I taste that as well. Yeah, yeah it does. Which is kind of nice, but like not as much as the, as the bud lime. Oh. And Miller Lime. Right. Right. Which I are a too limey for me. Actually. I like on the lid it says, pry off. Do not damage your fingers. Or teeth. Oh, yeah. There are people that do that, yeah. aren't there? Yeah. Not after all the dental work I've had done in my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, you know, I, I suddenly remember, you know what I saw the other day is that the Charles S. Roberts Awards, which is the Wargaming Awards, uh, they've opened up the voting. So people can go to the website and vote for your favorite war games of 2009, which is kind of nice. People like to vote for those kind of things. And then, you know, whoever wins the awards gets a million dollars. Gets a million dollars. Well, they get, you know, the notoriety of of getting the award. And I know the the, uh, starter kits have have won in the past for certain categories and squad leaders won. But I noticed this year that there is no category for podcasts. So I'm inviting everybody, encouraging everybody to write to them, and we'll put that on the show notes, write to them, and ask them to add that category next year. We recommend that you nominate the two half squads. Get out the vote. Get out the vote. That's right. I thought I was the one that begged. Because it's a great show. (laughs) This particular show is not so good, but a lot of them are good. Honestly. We know there's at least one that was good. Yeah, somewhere in there. There's some good stuff. Well, we got some good interviews coming up, which is always nice. How about time for a book review? A book review. Yeah. We don't have a book review theme song. Not yet, but we'll get one. I've actually had this book uh, for a little while and have been meaning to do a book review of this. This is called Panzer Tactics, German Small Unit Armor Tactics in World War II by Wolfgang Schneider. 
It's a nice big book. This is a oversized book. It's probably does that make it better? Yes. Okay. Probably eleven by nine, and uh, four hundred pages or so. And I don't know. This kind of struck my eye though because it said small unit armor tactics, and I thought, well, this would be a good way to to learn about what really. Why would they put small unit armor tactics in a big book? Well, the big unit armor tactics, you should have seen that book. Oh, it was, it was huge. Big. I couldn't even get it in the car. I thought it would be really small. But <laughs> Reverse psychology. <laughs> so uh, so this book is actually, uh, I actually, um, there, there's an introduction in it, and they talk about, you know, why it was written, uh, but it doesn't exactly say when it was written or if it's still current. But I am, I took from it that they actually still use this book in the German army. To talk about armor tactics, oh. and it was used, at least parts of it, were definitely used and given out to armor commanders during World War II. And it is, my favorite thing about it, it is chock full of great photos of German armor units. Thousands of photos, maybe not thousands, well, that's but a lot. hundreds and hundreds and pages and pages, which makes reading this book a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> But it was fun reading through this because I definitely recognized things that we do in Squad Leader with armor tactics. And uh, I, I learned a few things about armor tactics. But it kind of gives you, it just kind of gives you the flavor of what it was like for the German armor leaders and for the, the armor squads to analyze different battlefield situations and what to do in those situations. Some of them were pretty obvious, like run if away, you're being if overwhelmed, the coming run, away. run. Yeah. <laughs> your tank is on fire, get out of it immediately. Things like that. Don't turn your back on the enemy lest he shoot the back shoot of your tank and, and blow it to heck. You know, but it does talk about things on, on uh, how to advance into a city and why that's different than doing armor tactics in open fields. How to advance in open fields either using a leapfrog method or a caterpillar method, which sort of has an undulating as units move up. They take turns moving up. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, to So they can, each unit can cover the advance of the other units. So they're stationary and, and they can fire better exactly. while the other ones move. And it yeah. says, you know, you it's can fire while you're moving. Yes, but you're probably not oh. going to hit anything. What's it called, Rick? Well, in the infantry, they used to call it bound and cover. So oh, okay. One, one person bounding and the other covering. And there's a lot of illustrations on how to conceal a tank, how to park it so that it's hauled down. So you don't get a how ticket. To, how, to take, yes, how, to, how to take advantage of the different terrain for your tank. Yeah, you don't want to get a ticket on a tank. No. They're, they're doubly expensive, yeah. actually. Yeah, nasty. Do you remember that guy that stole the tank and was driving around the country? Yeah. And they shot him, remember that? The cops. Did they shoot him? Yeah, they shot the guy. He was coming out of the turret or something. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, he kind of went... that, Rick? I vaguely recall that, yeah. Although, unfortunately, we've had a couple of those incidences over the years, so... With tanks? Yeah. I remember there was one in Colorado something 20 years ago or so. Well, look, there's a picture of that guy in the police chasing him, Jeff, in that tactics book. Apparently, he didn't read the next page, which says, (laughs) when the police are chasing you, get out of your tank. (laughs) Uh, But you can see here, just pages and pages of really great, uh, interesting photos of different landscapes. There's also lots and lots of maps that describe different battlefields and the tactics that they used to win or lose a battle, I guess. And the if I had any comment about the book, it's that the maps were kind of hard to read. And they were a lot of them were in German. 
but still they were uh, they're a little blurry. You can't really read and tell what's going on. I suppose if you were really familiar with the battle, you'd be able to figure it out. But otherwise, they're just kind of nice to look at. But um, so I read through this whole book, and probably because there were so many pictures. <laughs> but again, if you're interested at all in tank tactics or just want to get a feel, just just to get that essence of what it was like to be in the German armed forces now, in the tank, I recommend this book. Wolfgang Schneider. I believe it's 25, what does it say back there? How much is it? 25 29.95. 29.95 on Amazon. I actually got it on half.com for half. What a deal. What a deal. Uh, recommended. Now, do you think some of this would apply to your squad leader playing, advanced squad leader? No. It's really more for... Well, the, don't turn your rear to the enemy. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things here and there that are that are sort of useful, I suppose, if you're, if you're a dolt. If you are otherwise, you know, a tank dolt, you'd, you'd pick up some things from this. But but no, I, w- I wouldn't really wouldn't say so. But great history. It's just a great piece of history. Well, thank you for that review. Yeah. We shall seize the bridges in sore question urges with thunderclap surprise. I love the smell of my pub in the morning. It smells like What's up, Dave? That's the new movie review intro. Nice. Nice work. Did you like it, Rick? Beautiful. Beautiful. Did you guess all the movies in there? No. (laughs) Did you guess any movies in there? I did. I got, uh, was it Full Metal Jagger with the... No. Oh, Deer Hunter. No. No. Which one was it? Napalm in the Morning? Yeah. Which one is that one? I forgot. Apocalypse Now. Oh, Apocalypse (laughs) Now. How could I forget? They're all in the same genre. I know it's Vietnam, and I know it's a World War II podcast, but come on. you got to have that quote in there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we'll cut you some slack. All right. And, Jeff, one thing I'd like to review briefly is a listener sent us a mail. We, keep, we said there'd be no listener mail today. About Shootout Okinawa. And said, hey, guys, check this out. You might like it. So uh, he put a link on a Yahoo, no, a YouTube link, and you could watch the whole thing, which is probably illegal, in 20-minute episodes. And so I went ahead and watched the thing in 20-minute episodes. And uh, they have various shootout shows. It's kind of like the name of the TV show. Shootout this, shootout that. And this was Shootout Okanagua. It was very good. On the positive side, it had great maps. Was this a documentary? Well, it's going to mix up real footage and recreations. I put that as a negative. But it's a documentary. It's not an. It's not a story-based. No, no. Show. Correct. It's yeah. like a History Channel. What, 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 I, don't, I don't know what channel runs this. Is it? My bad. Yeah, History Channel or somewhere else. We'll put a link up. Okay. And positive, great maps in it. Detailed battles. Lots of details of the actual battle that's going on. Interesting computer graphics used to connect the scenes. Um, 
geographically. And a great scenario ideas. There's your advanced squad leader connection. Great scenario ideas. Show small unit actions. And I guess that's why it's called Shootout Okinawa. It wasn't mm-hmm. the whole landing. It was some small unit actions on Okinawa. On the negative side, I found that it mixed that real footage with the recreations. And that just bugs me. Really? Why? And it, it looks silly. Well, it yeah, in a way it looks silly when you're going from historical footage and the authenticity of it to recreator guys, you know, walking around. You start to wonder whether or not they're making stuff up or if it truly is history. You're right. It calls it into question, even though it probably shouldn't, correct? Correct. But, yeah, that's the way I thought of it. Um, One thing I noticed, it uses, like, sad stuff as entertainment, wounds, shell shock. There was was an element of it that wasn't serious Hmm. about it. You know what I mean? I show the century at school to the kids, and it it was made at the turn of the century, you know, Peter Jennings. It's very famous and well-liked by educators, and it's very serious. When, you know, they talk about shell shock, you feel empathy. In this program, the shootout program, it just seemed like a little bit like, ooh, entertainment, like throwing the, you know, like doing the, the gladiator battles to the death or something. Mm. Oh, shell shock, he's, you know, uh, Wounded, oh, look at that wound and the blood and yeah. It just, there was an element of that that didn't capture any part of the sadness of the thing. I wouldn't say I was glorifying it. You know, it didn't glorify war, but it didn't quite capture they, that. It, they capitalized on it for the entertainment value. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's my opinion. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't like the title. Shootout, Okinawa. It's, I keep thinking old westerns when yeah. I think of shootout. Yeah. I, I don't know. At the OK Corral. Oh, Okinawa. OK, okay. 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 Now. Yeah. <laughs> the graphics of shooting bullets, a smoke cloud would shoot across the bottom. It would like be a transitional thing, or they'd bring up the guy's name. You know, this is Bob. So he interviewed real people. This is Bob from Okinawa, 58th Marines. I made that up. Obviously, don't don't write in, listeners. I know I'm an idiot, but my, but <laughs> this little bullet would shoot across with smoke trailing it, jazzy. But in a way, it seemed to me immature. Yeah, like overblown graphics, yeah. especially when they used it while a guy was choking up about his military experiences and actually crying, starting to cry. Hmm. He's choking up, and then this bullet goes, you know, like look how cool our show is. You know, but I thought that, that's not appropriate at yeah. that point in time. Hey, maybe yeah, I should story, let the story tell itself. Good point, Rick. Say that again. Let the story tell itself. Yeah, I think that's what's missing here. That's what I don't like about the History Channel. A lot of times is that it's it's sensationalist, it's exploitive, and voyeuristic. And I don't think you need that for history. I wish I thought of those words. No, you're, and you're, yeah, Jeff, you're right. I think you yeah. don't need that. When history's done well, it, it should be able to hold its own. Yes. And there was enough fascinating stuff in here. You know, it was a, the, the listeners might know where one of the heroes grabbed this burning hot machine gun, you know, lifted it on his forearm and was firing away, holding off a Japanese onslaught. You don't have to sensationalize that no. much. That's right. That's true heroics. Yeah. And, and in a way, when you do it, it almost makes it cartoony. Yeah. However, I'm not saying don't watch the program. Sure, watch the program. Yeah. It's good. It, it, again, lots of historical detail. 
Um, really good details on the battles and so on. So I'd, I'd still recommend it for any ASL enthusiast. But if you had to pick, you only had an hour to watch TV that night, and there was some another special, it, it might be more worth your time. Yeah. So I don't have an example of that. but So that's my shootout Okinawa experience. Yeah, I don't even like uh, on the History Channel or on any kind of news show, I don't like music in the in a news show either because I feel it's manipulative. It's manipulative, yeah. You know, uh, I notice it on shows where the... They'll start playing the piano, bling, 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 you know, to make you feel a little soft piano, to make you feel sad for whatever they're trying to... Cueing you, cueing your emotions. Yeah, exactly. They do it a lot on Oprah. <laughs> you know, yeah. They do it on Oprah? They do it That's on Oprah. a talk show. No, yeah, but they they always have a newsreel, you know, let's, let's look and see what so-and-so, who was born with five legs... Yeah, let's see how they're doing today. And then the music goes on, and it's so sad, my sad little life. I just feel manipulated. I don't, I don't feel like they should do that. Well, they should re- I like the facts just reported as the facts, but maybe that doesn't sell well. Maybe that's not as popular, but well, that's first how of all, I feel well, about it. What are you doing watching Oprah? <laughs> well, my wife watches Oprah, and once in a while I, I tune in. Just I, I, don't, I never turn on the TV and tune in Oprah, I would say that. Okay. But and then secondly, it, so. it reminds me of the Monty Python skit of the man with three buttocks. Yes. <laughs> and the camera keeps moving around his yeah. rear. He's like, hey, get that camera away from there. All right. We have another review, Jeff. You oh, we do. You okay. and I watched something together. Yes, we did. And we, But we didn't hold hands, thank goodness. <laughs> well, we watched, uh, we, we watched together two episodes of Pacific. The Pacific. The Pacific. HBO. Yes. And Rick, have you seen Band of Brothers? Yes, I have seen part, well, not all of it, but a lot of it. And you like that? Oh, it was good. I thought it was really good. Well, but it's, once again, fictionalized, but, uh, yeah. But, well, it's, no. It's not the history. Well, well yes. It's based on a, yes. on a true story. Right, but. right, right. Yeah, historical fiction, I guess. I wouldn't even call it that. I mean, it is the real life experiences of yeah, the battles. I think it was Captain oh. Major Winter. It was fairly it's, historically, it's historically accurate. accurate yeah. it's, but it's a you know, literary telling of it. Yeah, that's true. Right. That's true. Well, this is the sequel, The Pacific. Yeah. Same director, uh, not the same director, but executive produced, again, by Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg, as was uh, Band of Brothers. And this, of course, takes place in the Pacific. That's why they call it the Pacific. And uh, specifically covers the uh, Marines. Involvement in that war, and what are you thinking of it, Dave? Well, I'm looking over my notes after uh, two episodes. What do you think? Uh, well, I liked it. Uh, it was an interesting mix of historical footage and interviews at the opening. Yeah, I always like the interviews of the actual vets. Yes, yeah. and so I really appreciate that. I felt it was done respectfully. Yes, it didn't have the bullet shooting across the bottom with smoke trail while a guy was crying. Right. So, so in that regard, it was better done. Uh, I love the charcoal breaking and the echoing of the shrapnel and dirt explosives in the beginning. Those opening credits, yeah, really artfully done. Interesting opening speech juxtaposing peace and prayers in that first episode with we have to go kill our enemies. So I like that just Mm -hmm. juxtaposition of of topics. Now it's one part seemed a little forced when one guy was giving the speech asking, you know, why why are we here for the war and I don't know. It just didn't flow naturally for me. Episode two, I, I wrote down a note here that I jumped. So something scared me. 
<laughs> Did you jump? <laughs> Not Did that you I recall. Jump? Not that I recall. No, I don't recall that. <laughs> Senator. The, uh, things I thought were great about it. The music. Amazing Alligator Creek battle. Right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, the battle scenes are are very skillfully done and are terrifying to watch. Yes. Tracer bullets flying around, people yeah. moving at night, things blowing up all around you. I thought the Alligator Creek battle, and I've played the scenarios in ASL. Oh, I meant to actually dig them out and name them off tonight, but they're out there. Uh, and as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, wow, this is like the scenario. You know, the Japanese are trying to move around this effluent. You get to use your effluent counter or overlay and so on. Um, the battles seem historically accurate. Yes, then, Absolutely. And probably, I'm assuming, the rest of the show is, too. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it, it gives a very detailed, authentic portrayal of what was going on there, and mostly the hardship. But I think that's mostly what was going on there was hardship. There wasn't anything about the battles in the Pacific that were romantic or fun or anything. So you just get this. It's a very heavy, depressing feeling throughout the show. Though so, uh, I think it was in episode three or four, where, which mostly took place during their their time off, their shore leave in Australia. So um, we got diverted from the heaviness, but I, then I watched the subsequent episodes, and once again, just really, when you see how much, how long they had to live through the monsoon season, the rain, the mud, and they said the jungle became their biggest enemy during those times. And you, you get the feeling of that. But still, I, I don't seem to have the same connection to the characters that I did in Band of Brothers. I would say I'm not enjoying the show as much as I did the Band of Brothers. And I don't know if that's because I feel like I... I don't feel like I can differentiate enough between all the characters in Pacific. They all kind of look alike to me, well, sound alike to me. I had written down some difficulty with identifying yeah. characters. yes. Uh, in some war films, it's, it happens a bit because they're all shaved and all, you know, yeah. looking kind of the same. And um, But, yeah, I had the same problem. But you've seen more episodes than me. It doesn't start to get resolved better. A little bit better. Yeah, a little bit better. But still, uh, kind of tough. And uh, I, I just don't have this the same affection for it. So, But I still have uh, some episodes to go, so I'll let you know. Well, and, and I wrote down a bad thing. Red, the red splashes is exaggerated. Was that the blood splashes? Remember oh, I yes. I it out to you. Right. Um, Spraying blood. And someone will go, oh, well, that's real, real, realistic. But I was just reading Military History Today magazine, and in there they had an article from a guy from World War One, and his quote was basically that his buddy tipped back his tin hat, is what he called it, World War One, his helmet, leaned up to take a shot at the enemy uh, sniper over there, this this German helmet they kept seeing pop up, leaned up there to get a shot at it. You know, he took his shot, and he smiled, and then he turned to look at the other man, and he started to fall over. And all he saw was, you know, just a hole in the head where the bullet had entered. And So I, I would think it's exaggerated, the way it's blood splashing around. I think it's kind of computer graphics. Yeah. And it kind of looks that way. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, could but, be. But I'd, of course, recommend it. And particularly for the battle scenes and the historicalness of it. And yeah. Well, why don't we move along to our interview with Sam from Bounding Fire? Sounds like a great idea. And then nice we'll come interview. back and we'll sign off. Yes. So I'll open on Saturday, and uh, there's a little break. You're having a break from your game? Yep, and, just finished. And maybe people can guess from the timber of your voice Perhaps. who you are. 
I don't know. How many people know me? I don't know. I don't know. All the guys from the Texas ASL group. That's true. Yeah. And you are? Sam Tyson. Welcome, From Texas. What area? From Austin, Texas. Austin. So with the uh, Texas guys. And they play in different regions, different areas, though, right? We have, we have three primary regions. So we have the Austin group, which is the, the biggest consensus of guys. We have about 30 active people, um, monthly game days. I know you went over this with Matt recently. And, and we have, you know, a dozen on most we, most first Saturdays of every month in Austin, we get a game day. And we rotate that around four different houses. Uh, the San Antonio guys have an active group. They have, you know, a monthly game day as well, different weekend. They get a half dozen guys at Scott Bell's house. Uh, the Dallas guys have their own group, another 10 to 20 people up there, play monthly. And the Houston guys have a big group. So Wow. So it's four groups. I said three, but. And then your background with squad leader, you started with the original squad leader? or you... I actually did. So back in my high school days long ago, in the uh, not purple box, but the black box of squad leader, my brother bought it. Uh, see, I got out of high school in 82. We played some in 79, 80 when, we were, when he was still in my house. He was three years ahead of me, so he was off to college in 1980. So we didn't play much in there together. And when I got to school, I went to tech like he did and we played a little bit in college and bounced around and then like a lot of people it sat dormant in my bookshelf for the next 15 to 20 years yeah. and I picked it back up in the late 90s and started playing again found the groups found uh, the bonsai newsletter in a game shop in Austin found those guys I never you know met any ASLers in Austin before that and got hooked up with Matt Shostak and Mike Sinigan and got started again so. Wow. Did you ever think it would go this far? No. Never thought it would be this life-consuming and torturous. But Yeah. yeah as a hobby and a business and, yeah. and a lifestyle. Or, you know, but the friends and, and the fun make it, make it worthwhile. So. Yeah. And the business side is Bounding Fire. That's right. Uh, Chad Smith and I uh, started, I guess he started, and I was there almost from the beginning, I would say, uh, Bounding Fire in... Racking my brain for 1998, I believe, is when we started, and we did the Helen Wheels publication. So it was the first pack that we did that time frame, based all on the Second Armored Division. If I recall, we had 12 scenarios, 13 scenarios, counting the. We did a God Save the King scenario, the British, and we had a solitaire scenario in that. We had a deluxe map, uh, one deluxe board that fit in with the other, the other four, eight deluxe boards. And published that uh, on a 11 by 17 printer in my house. I ran those copies off, folded and stapled, and stuffed them in bags, and sold X number of copies. I can't remember what that was now. I mean, that's kind of amazing to me when I when I think about it and talk to people and we see how much work is involved in putting those things together. When, what, how did you get the idea that you would want to do this? So Chaz is uh, he's in the army. He was based at Fort Hood, which is about 40 miles north. Of Austin, so he was the researcher and designer, and, and he's a fabulous ASL player. You know, who doesn't get to play much since he has a, has his army job still, even up to this point. But he's an incredible researcher and has access to all the, the nice material historically. So he's always been able to put a scenario together, you know, take the historical account of a scenario, put it on paper, play through it himself in his head. I've never, you know, just seeing the results over the ten years that we've been working together of getting a scenario so close to being playable initially that it's almost ready for publication uh, just by 
knowing how a scenario fits, how a, a scenario works, how ASL works, they can just translate that from a historical document into, into ASL. Yeah. So the business side of it, it really all comes after that, after the initial idea of a scenario creation. And that technology is getting easier and easier. You know, back in the at the beginning, we just did you know desktop publishing and straight to the printer. Like I said, just did a, we had a wide printer and, and did that. And so today we have you know professional pub- printing, publishing, and and that stuff. We have people doing the counters professionally and you know, yeah. as a business side of it. So the technology has improved. The cost you know doesn't prohibit us from doing it. So it really makes it easy enough to do. And does it take uh, a lot of time? It does. Um, do you have any words of wisdom for people that are thinking about publishing their own <laughs> Don't do it. Good luck. Right, yeah. <laughs> Prepare to, to be uh, 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 to annoy your wife or your yeah. spouse. Uh, spend long hours at the computer uh, doing public, you know, the publishing or the, the laying out the counters and the scenarios and oh, the, yeah. all that stuff. It does take a lot of time. Yeah. But, not as much as the testing side of it. So we kind of split that up into, into two. Chaz does all the design and, you know, takes scenarios from other people. He doesn't design all the scenarios, but he does do all the play testing validation of the designs. And then we put all that together in a paddock, in a product, like the Blood and Jungle or the other three things that we've done. And then I kind of take over from there and get it all ready for print. And then we have, you know, either our play testers or other guys get involved in the editing process to try to make sure all the rules are right. Especially when we do the big articles like on, you know, the jungle play or the bocage play that we've done in the past of making sure that those analytical, you know, essays basically of how ASL applies to those situations are completely accurate according to the rule book. Yeah. It takes a lot of work and a lot of validation and verification of multiple people. And that's why and on our show we never claim to be 100% accurate. Right. And, and, <laughs> and we strive for that, but we're not either. And so. we're flying off the cuff sometimes and, uh, you know, we just say, well, we're going to make a few mistakes. So yeah. hopefully listeners will post in and correct us. We don't have to do all the belaboring. If When I go and edit the show, I don't want to have to go look up all the rules I referenced and make sure that I had them all right. right. But, yeah, that's got to be Herculean effort to right. get that stuff if made. If you look at the, the history of our our products, we you know we strive for high quality and, and no errata, but... You know, realistically, that's pretty much impossible yeah, to yeah. do. And I would think. the size of the Blood and Jungle product, we've got you know, probably a normal amount of errata, but it you know fills up a full page now because there are 48 scenarios and you know, a full, you know, four full counter sheets, and you know, just the size of that leads to more errata just because there's more things that could go wrong. There's not a lot of blatant errors or you know things that make it unplayable but there are a few little mistakes here and there that, that do add up and, and it does take a lot of work to prevent more so. so do these projects come about because you see uh, a hole in the offerings that are available or how do they come up how do you I think come more up of it like drives from Chaz's imagination and and what research material he has access to because the, the PTO stuff has come over you know probably a decade of research and you know, at least five years of playtest and design and, and actually putting scenarios down. So that was a long history and a big accumulation of stuff, and we had never done any specific any PTO stuff before. So we had a good backlog of stuff, and you know, we could do a couple of small products or, or just put one, you know, unprecedented, unique module out that, you know, is basically the definitive now PTO module out there until, you know, everybody else catches up with us. So. There have been a few more. You know, LFT did one recently with their the LFT 12. I think is PTO oriented. Yeah. So there's a lot of drive and demand for that now. It's just I think it's all a coincidence of you know, people are 
tired of playing the Easter Front all the time. Yeah. So it kind of drives that. We did the, the Bocage. MMP did the Bocage thing last year. Right. Uh, so which was, was your Bocage, Beyond the Beachhead? So we did Beyond the Beachhead, which was a combination pack. We reprinted. We, Chaz and I both used to work for Heat of Battle, so we had the rights. Chaz, oh, most okay. of the, the Beyond the Bocage one was a Heat of Battle product. Uh, we retained the rights to that. Uh, to the original eight scenarios, so we added eight more scenarios on. The original pack had two boards. We now have four boards in that, and a couple of overlays. So the Beyond, the Beyond the Beachhead 2 was 16 scenarios with four boards. But that was kind of a, a continuation of that effort of, you know, adding more research plus reprinting the old stuff. It wasn't widely circulated along the, among all the ASLers around the world. Right. So. Yeah, and I had not heard of it Um but I was getting into Heat of Battle products fairly early. I had several of them. Uh, then I was running out of time to game, you know. Right. But now I'm kind of getting my fire rekindled for all this stuff. Well, plus the quality is just so so much quality better of the, of the third-party stuff. That's just really amazing. So Beyond the Beachhead 2 includes one? Right. So, it's, so it's just more of a release of one and expanded to, to have more scenarios. Okay. So we have another thing like that in the works for this year. I can't go much into details like that, but we're taking an old product and expanding it and adding more to it um, along those lines. Uh, the other thing that we did with the Bocage was the Operation Cobra. Yeah. So that was, again, that was a, the American Cobra group as they proceed, you know, pushed past the, the Omaha Beach area, the, the Normandy area, and pushed into France. So that was their, you know, following them through with another 16 scenarios, I think is the right number, maybe 15. But, uh, again, a big pack, a couple of boards. Uh, sorry, no boards in that since they're all in the other box, but there are counters in that. So we did uh, Shermans with Cullen devices, Shermans with flamethrowers. We did uh, air support counters in that. So there's a half sheet of counters with the Cobra that you know, gives you some different aspects of that same theater, mm-hmm. but, you know, and even more choices of what to play. So those co- both came out the same kind. At the same time, so it was kind of two projects in one. From my point of view, that we published them and printed them at the same time, and most people bought them together as a double set. So. And the first thing we did when we got back into business by ourselves was the end of the rubble, which was a few years ago when I, li- I lived in Charlotte at the time. Yeah, that was fairly recent. Yeah, I almost grabbed that one. That was really tempting for me. Right. So that was more of a city fight, rubble, you know, urban areas. The one two, board, I think. Has two boards oh, in two it. Boards. They both have railroads and, and factories and railway stations involved on those. So, so you know, very intense city fights, diverse as far as what units are involved and what time frames, but a good, you know, small, dense scenario pack. You know, low cost for most people, and you know, but good scenarios to play. A good variety of medium to large scenarios. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's and a lot of rubble on the rubble boards. Then those are right. A lot of rubble. Right. There's a there's a rubble city overlay that really changes the feel of that board to you know to a shell you know, destroyed city for close in fighting like you get in red barricades or yeah. And again, the scenarios were spread out. To different cities, it wasn't just right. like Stalingrad. Right, it's not a historical map, so you could recreate a bunch of different yeah. things. And we have factory scenarios in that where you have to you know, storm in and take a factory over on a, on a geomorphic board, which is you know not your commonplace city fight. So. Yeah. So really, then Chaz and you used to work with Heat yeah. of Battle guys. Chaz and I, we uh, started our own, like I said, in 1998. We did the Hell on Wheels. We uh, were produ- in production of the Herman Goring pack when Multiman came to us and said, you know, we want to take your scenarios and put them in journals. So we took most of the Ellen Will scenarios that weren't deluxe, and they put them in journals uh, two and three, I believe, 
And then a couple of the Herman Goring, we had a, another set of 12, I think, scenarios for the Herman Goring division as a, you know, through their ex- escapades all over Germany and France and Russia. And they took a few of those and put them in journals. And we never really published that on our own because we made the deal with them. Yeah. Uh, so that went on for a year or two of doing the journal scenarios. And then we you know, broke off with them when things weren't happy between all of us, like things go in business. And we joined forces with Steve Deffelson and, and he did battle and started designing scenarios for them and, and doing publications. So that's where most of the um, Recon by Fire magazines came from. Yeah, we did okay, two, I remember three, those. Four. I have one or two of those at home, yeah. yeah. So everything except the first one of those. Uh, we, uh, the biggest thing we did there was the uh, Onslaught to Orsha. So the, the Orsha campaign was another monster pack with uh, both campaign, a campaign game, a, a uh, Historical map with the in Belarus, the, the Russian planes and the fields, the railroad track running down the middle of it. So lots of wide open fights, and also it has I think 14 geomorphic board scenarios in it based on the, the fighting between the Germans and Russians in that same time frame, in that same operation. So that was the big monster pack, and we went, you know, did a few other things with Heat of Battle, and then you know finally got tired of that arrangement and figured we'd start our own, on our own again, and that's where we are now. Mm-hmm. And we've added a few other people. We've got an artist in California, uh, Bruce Kirkaldi, does most of the map work. That's what I was going to ask next. Is right. like who else is involved? And, uh, I have a guy in Austin that helps me out a lot, Rick Reinish, who you guys have talked to a little bit, uh, that has helped me tremendously with the counter art and with the scenario layout and design and the publication side of it. So. He's also stepped up everywhere else in, everywhere else in Austin. Running, he runs the June tournament now, and he's taken over pretty much all the bonsai publication from Shostak. And I used to do that, you know. So let's take that off my shoulders. So he's yeah, really, and even he's really that, the MVP now. You know, we were just so amazed with even Matt when yeah. we interviewed Matt. We're like, wow, did, you know, look at all this. I mean. It should be like a journal, you know. It's, yeah, it's a it's, backlog of yeah. you know, publications. Yeah. There's 20 or 30 issues. I, I think those should have been sold, but I'm always into, you know, making a little buck. I get I get <laughs> right. excited when I sell something on eBay, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's been a wild ride, so. Yeah, How do you manage um, coming out with a product without running into copyright issues? How does that work? So we have an agreement that, you know, we can publish maps. Obviously, those are unique in their own rights. Everything that's copyrighted, we you know, give credits to the to the copyright owners. As far as rules references, we, you know, we're compatible with any you know, war game. We're not infringing any copyrights. We're not you know putting publishing stuff that's already been done or you know trying to take away you know credit for that for coming up with that. So we, the counters we produce are unique in their own fashion. We're not mm-hmm. duplicating stuff that's already out there. So we're not reprinting or copying in that case. But we are, the way I see most of the concept, it's like writing software for Microsoft. You know, everybody can write programs for Windows, but you have to follow, play along with their rules and, and follow their guidelines. Oh, okay. You can make applications that, that work in the system. So. Yeah, like, um, and I remember when the fallout happened, because I go back longer than Jeff does with the hobby, but the early stuff all looked just like squad leader products, or, I mean, official Avalon Hill products. Right. And then at one point, yeah, the legal issues and then the private companies or third-party products all changed their layouts and their formats and the way they could do counters. And so that was the way that was resolved. Yeah, we're not trying to be multi-man. We, we hope that we 
help them with their business and, and you know, keeping more people interested and help them sell their core products, which we couldn't live without. So we, we hopefully yeah, I'm, are. I'm we're, sure that's the case. We're beneficial. And, yeah. you know, I've been to Winter Offensive plenty of times. My brother lives in Maryland, so I'm usually up there every January, and that's their tournament that they run. So, and they've always been supportive of, of me not to go there and sell, but, you know, as a player and, and you know, as a friend, uh, those guys are, you know, in my opinion, good with what we do. Yeah. So, do you keep them advised, uh, or they keep you advised about projects that are going on, so there's no overlap in that? No, no, yeah, we that's really don't have any any issues yeah. there. And so. that's why you can see when you look through uh, Alex Key stuff, there's some duplication from third-party products of of some concepts because there's you know it's a big war, but certain theaters everyone's going to look at it and say, oh, let's do that, and and so it's interesting the some are, of the. Some of the overlap, even in one of the scenarios, there's a Marco Polo Bridge scenario that's probably been done four times by four different publishers. Oh, okay. And it's all about the same incident between the Japanese and the Chinese. Uh, hopefully, I have that right in my head. But there's, you know, everybody can read the same historical account and come up with a scenario, and it may play four different ways. Yeah. You still get the same results, but in trying to make an ASL scenario, it's not historically accurate. It's historically flavored, but it's still a game that either side can win. So it's, it's interpretive in how you translate that into ASL. So that's, that's the challenge, and that's what makes everybody's products unique. And why there can be overlap, then yeah. it doesn't really matter. Yeah, and I guess there were the three Arnhem right. attempts. I got the original God Save the King, played all that. That was right. back in the days when you couldn't get a lot of um, right. Squaw Leader products, so you could had time to play everything you bought right. multiple times. Then you had and the then too far there was from, the bridge too far. And well, that's an official battle, product, right. so I'm gonna. Oh well, no, the um, Heat of Battle came out first. Was God Save the King? Uh, was it named that? Yeah. That okay. was the God Save the King. Okay. Then the bridge too far was the Avalon Hill Oh, and then box the critical one. hit version. And then I bought the critical hit one, and by that time, I was swamped with stuff to play. It was like, oh, I'm never going to get around to that. Right. I'm just going to put that on eBay, I, you know. But I really enjoyed the, the first one, the Heat of Battle, and then the official one. And, but, yeah, so there you go. There's three versions of one, one historical huge module. historically famous campaign kind of thing that... Right. It was neat to look at. And to, yeah, the, yeah. The historical modules are fun to go back and you know fill in the gaps. We've done a few scenarios for for the uh, red barricades that you know take place in the, the lower half of the map. You know, fighting around the, some of the factories. When people play the campaign campaign games. A lot of times, they won't ever make it past halfway through the campaign, so you never end <laughs> up fighting down for the southern factories. And so we you know put a few other scenarios out there that give you a flavor of what happened later in the battle. Uh, so that's kind of been interesting and fun to, to go back and, you know, use the historical map and you know, add some more options and, and playability. So then speaking of time again, time use, you know, I, I know what I do. I do this podcast, edit it. We don't put them out very often, every three weeks or so. So it's not a huge commitment. And then I'm painting miniatures for my other gaming, miniature wargaming D&D. So while I'm painting miniatures and my wife's asleep, you guys are writing scenarios, right? I mean, does it interfere with your gameplay? I still play Squad Leader like once a week, almost, and D&D with various groups. But So like when I'm painting or watching TV, that's when... Or does Chaz ever game, I guess, is what I'm asking? So he does. He's he's uh, not in the position to do that right now since he's working in the Army. So he's not at home, put it that way. Oh, so that may give him some... May have more... His downtime... 
Yeah, I don't think his time is his time at this point. So, oh, yeah. so he's got time to to coordinate play tests and and you know do some editing and stuff like that. But he doesn't really have good access to materials where he's located at this time. Yeah. So, uh, for myself, uh, we have a monthly game day, and that's pretty much all the ASL I get in, unless I travel to a tournament. So, because you're working on. Well, developing more I don't often. sacrifice that. We do a Saturday game day. Most of my publication stuff and, and bounding fireworks takes place at night or on Sundays or the weekends. Yeah. So, um, and it's usually not overwhelming unless we're, you know, in the push and trying to wrap a project up, especially something like Blood and Jungle, which was a lot of work. But after that, it boils down to, you know, 10 hours a week of work you know, on the side. So gaming-wise, I play ASL once a month on average, maybe twice. My wife goes out of town, I'll sneak in a game or two (laughs) during the month. And then I also play other board games. I have a monthly, or sorry, uh, every Monday or Tuesday night we get together with a guy I work with and some friends, and we have a half dozen people. We play everything else. So we play Laharve and, you know, all the Galaxy Trucker. That's one of the big benefits of going to Winter Offensive. I get to meet the Deller brothers and see what new game they're playing for the year and get to go home and buy it myself. And, and <laughs> uh, you know, That's how I found a bunch of good games. So. And what brought you to the ASL Open of all the so tournaments? Actually, uh, so I've been here, I think this is my fourth time going oh. back, talking to David the other day. Um, and I can't say that this year, this year is a little bit different. I thought I was bringing my wife, who I married... Four, three and a half years ago, is actually from Chicago, and her family still lives here. Oh, okay. So I was supposed to bring her, you know, fly up Thursday or Friday morning. I would get to stay in the hotel for three days. She can go hang out with her mom and her dad and her brother and go shopping and do all this stuff. And then Monday is the Cubs home opener. So we said that would be a great day for that. And we'd go to the Cubs game and then fly back Monday night. But she had to work extra, so she bailed out. Her dad bailed out of the ball game now. So here I am sitting at the open with three extra Cubs tickets for Monday. So if anybody wants to Well, if I didn't have to, go, to work, yeah, yeah. That's the work side. So in the past, uh, I can't say I've tied it into anything except um, I like Chicago. I like to come up here. But, of course, if you go to a tournament, you don't really do anything except, except the tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't really know what brought me here. Um, I guess after the first time, it was the the camaraderie and, and David's such a good host, and, a, and it's just a nice tournament to come to. I like the structured format; it's a lot different than our than the Austin tournament, which is open format. So here you get the set rounds, you get a playlist, so it goes faster. You get ladders, you match up, so it's a lot more structured and, and flows better that way. So it's just a good tournament. So yeah. Yeah. The, the big four tournaments in my book are, you know, obviously Asluck. I've been to three times. Winter Offensive, half dozen or roughly, and this one the fourth time. Yeah, so. and we'll have to get to the Winter Offensive too, Jeff. Yeah, plenty of plenty of room to broadcast there. So. Yeah, it's a lot of but <laughs> well, it's the Winter Offensive. I always but. thought they should we should swap the Winter Offensive with the Austin tournament. We the should, time of year? Yeah, we should go to Austin in January, and we should be in Baltimore in June. That is probably correct. That's, that we makes more sense. make this summer offensive and yeah. Yeah. Switch, switch the names. Yeah. <laughs> but there's not a lot of crossover. Pete Schelling's been to both. You know, some of the guys have been there. So. But it's fun. And how are you doing in the tournament today? Today, I, I won my first game today. Excellent. Oh, so you didn't win one yesterday. No, I didn't win, win one yesterday. So no, I'm one in three. <laughs> I, I'd say the first game I, I played badly, and the, the other two games in the middle were uh, uh, 
good decisions and bad results. And so. Blame the dice. Blame, yeah, oh, yeah. it's always. Yeah, well, not, when I went not by completely, and, but and met met him, you weren't here yet, Jeff. But when I met, uh, yeah, it was a, maybe enroll a ten and eleven and a twelve, like in a row or something. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was about the way the first three games went. So. I did make a blunder in the first game, which, yeah, I, I think that really cost me the game. I didn't roll well then either, but uh, I'm not a dice blamer in most most cases because usually I don't have to. You yeah. win, you never care, but uh, it, it does happen. I've seen it happen to other people. It does, yeah. and it's kind of like when, when it happens. It's, right. You know. The critical roles yeah. and, and, or you know, the annoying failures of morale checks or yeah. misses. Just or, the one good shot you had to take out a huge t- evil tank and then... Well, turn, there's not going to be another tie, chance, right. so that was it. You know, it's now true. that tank's running all over the board. But, but anybody that's played this game for long enough has I mean, had yeah. you know, the, the horror beatdowns and bad dice for the game, and go home and crush your dice in the vice kind of game. So, so it's all well, fun. Well, hopefully tonight you'll have uh, good luck. At least I'll get to go di- to dinner early, so that's always a good. Yeah, yeah, good we're going to do that soon, I guess. Nothing good. wrong with that. We still want to get an interview with uh, maybe Shelling and um, Burris from St. Louis and. Uh, well, I wish you guys keep making that great product. And well, we've got plenty in, plenty in the pipeline. We're going to be busy for the next four years and, and see if we can get caught <laughs> yeah. up. And yeah, I'm sure, sure by that time we'll have it all another four years worth. So it's we're not, not, we're it's not going good anywhere. To know. It's not short, you know, when you're talking about that kind of product. And we've been talking about the, the show. We're like, well, we've only covered like an eighth of the rule book, so we have a long way to go. Yeah. You know, putting these things out. Yep. And. Well, all right, then. I would urge everyone to support your, your yeah. product, buy some Bounty Fire stuff. Yeah. Uh, head over to BoundingFire.com and uh, take a look at the products. Uh, we also sell the French products there if, you, if you're interested. Le French Latour. Yep. I'm, I'm currently out of stock. I send them all to Japan, the Boardwalk Games in Japan, thanks to, to Yoshi over there. And, uh, I think I got his name right. He probably won't listen anyway. But Well, we but do have someone, someone one or in two Japan. in Japan. Well, hopefully he's <laughs> out there. Hi, Boardwalk Games, yeah. if you're there. But, yeah. so, so hopefully I can get back with LeFranc and uh, get some more stock. But yeah, we do well with, with broke products. We're uh, mutually supportive. We ship ours over there so he can sell them and, and ship them all over England cheaper than I can. So it works out well. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's excellent. So. And, and thank you guys for doing this and uh, putting them out there. A pleasure. All right, good luck then. Yeah, good luck. Well, I guess that will wrap it up for Episode 36. We want to thank Sam again for that great interview. Thank you, Sam. And we want to thank Rick Hollander for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming and drinking our beer. I'll do it anytime. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dave, you got any squad leader plans uh, for the coming week? Uh, n- no. Next week will be the Palatine Club meeting. Mm-hmm. Rick, you'll be there? No, no. I won't be oh, able to be oh, there. Oh, you won't weekend. be there. No. Oh. Well, this weekend I'm playing Rich Spilkey at his house, Brandenburger Bridge, which is one of the scenarios that was played at the ASL Open that Rich didn't get to play, and he's aching to play, so I'm going to take the side of the Russians and go play that. Looking forward to that. So I'll let you know how that turns out in the next show. Excellent. Or the show after. Until then. Thanks, everybody. Remember to roll low. And rally well. But but not not when when you're you're playing playing us. us. Yeah. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. You played a very good. Uh, your Latin is very good, Rick. You made a great piece. Yeah, great piece. Yeah. You know, I think it really made a difference because we actually uh, recorded that inside of a cathedral. That was a nice drive down to Chicago to get 
to the old cathedral. And a holy name that was opened just for us. Thank you.